But before I go straight into the message, I wanted to share a few things about today's topic. Today's topic is one that as we've been looking at the state of the world and as we've been looking at the state of society and for many of us that are still just navigating around this pandemic and life in itself, I began to wonder how are we coping in these moments of isolation? How are we dealing with some of the financial stresses that our families, our spouse, our workplaces, how are we navigating these things? And this is what led me to the sermon that I've called Conquer the Cave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to share your word with your saints, with your people across the globe. And Lord, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus that as this message goes forth, that we, as your people, would understand the importance of conquering the cave. We will understand what it means to come outside of this place that we sometimes find ourselves in, that we call safety, but doesn't actually bring fruit or success to our lives, to the higher calling that you've called us to. Father, I pray that every listener, And everyone across the globe that are tuning in to hear this message will be blessed, will be edified, and ultimately may your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Conquer the cave. I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 1 to 18. And I want us to be looking at a few particular characters in this and why I entitled this sermon Conquer the Cave. We see in verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Let the gods do to me and more also. And I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went into Bathsheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Please notice that he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Verse 5. And when he had laid and slept underneath the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there, sorry, then he looked and by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And an angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank and he went into the strength of the Lord of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets by the sword. I am left alone and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on a mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in the mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I am a, I am a left and they, t and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, go and return your way to the wilderness of, to the wilderness of Damascus. And, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king of Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nimishi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, of Abel, Melola, and you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Verse 17. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Just to give you a small summary of what we're seeing here. Elijah has killed hundreds of false prophets. He's killed them for their worship to Baal. And he's also showed that the true and living God in, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, that the living God reigns. What is powerful and profound about this in the very beginning of, verse, of chapter 19, Jezebel comes on the scene. But for those that go and do further study of verse 18, you would see that Jezebel killed many of the prophets of God. There was something that took place in history that Elijah took count of. And when that came back to remembrance, and when he found out that Jezebel was back on the scene, he became fearful, despite the great things that God used him for, to achieve for God's glory. Has there been a time or a season in your life where you feel like, oh my days, you've done something great. You're like, wow, you're filled with faith. You're filled with courage. You're filled with joy. You're filled with the power of the Lord. You, you believe you could do so much in the world. But up until something from the past that you've heard about comes into your remembrance. And we now see that Elijah, a mighty man of God, begins to flee, begins to run, begins to hide. And along the journey, we are seeing over and over and over how God helps Elijah. He gives him food to sustain him for the 40 days journey. He speaks to him, he conversates with him to remind him that he has been given a calling. And if there's a quote, I always say is that know your calling and act accordingly. But we see here, Elijah said, take my life. He was ready to die. In this pandemic that we find ourselves in, being stuck at home, where you might feel that this is overwhelming. For some of us, we might find out what is purpose. For those of you guys that are tuning in from the UK, many have been furloughed, where they've actually been asked that, you know what, just stay indoors, stay at home. We're going to pay you 80% of your salary. But what the, the problem that they may find is that they're not 100% sure 
if a job is going to be awaiting for them when they get back to work. And I've had many conversations with people that in this current season, they feel that there is a lack of purpose, a lack of calling, and a lack of clarity over their lives. When there is a lack of purpose, there is a sense of a lack of purpose, a lack of calling, and a lack of clarity. It can lead you to be becoming callous, cold and stationary, where you forget the calling of God over your life, and you go into a cave, forgetting that God has called you to being in more than the place that you found yourself in. And I want to show you six ways and six areas of how you can conquer the cave if you find yourself in this particular season. A season of barrenness, a season of feeling anxious, a season of feeling depressed, a season of not feeling worthy, or even a season of not feeling yourself. Number one, pain leads to his promise and purpose. Pain leads to his promise and purpose. What do I mean by that? We see in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, it tells us, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Many times people say, what is my purpose in life? What am I going to achieve? How am I going to achieve these things? I always say, be about your father's business. If you cannot find or you do not know explicitly what you need to do for your life, there is one common purpose all of us as believers have. And that is to be about our father's business, to go into the world, to share and preach the gospel, to love our neighbor as are ourselves. And we can do those things in all seasons. Because one thing I learned here, that even if you're going for a season when it seems confusing, even if you're going for a season of hardship and pain, if you're going for a season of grieving, remind yourselves that God will still use the pain in order to push you towards the greater calling and purpose that he has in store for you. Number two, don't be wary in doing good. Don't be wary in doing good. Some of us find ourselves in the cave because of the people in our lives and feeling exhausted. Have you ever felt exhausted? Have you ever had that friend or family member or work colleague that you're always just being cheerful, you're always just trying to be the best that you can be? But for some reason, they still gossip behind your back. They still, there is a lack of gratitude on their part towards you. Some of that might be something extreme like we've been seeing in the past few weeks of the protests and the attacks and the things we're seeing in our world today. And sometimes when we see these things in the media and in, on social media and on our TV and on the news, it can lead our hearts to becoming hardened by what we have seen. Some of us feeling dismayed, some of us feeling downcast, some of us even feeling depressed. But I want to remind you, do not be wary in doing good, as Galatians 6.9 tells us, do not let us be wary in doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we, as we have an opportunity, let us, all, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of the faith. But what I find interesting in this particular verse, it says in due season, you would not lose heart. You would, not, you would reap if you do not lose heart. But here's the difficult part. When is the season due? I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in a, in a car when somebody's driving somewhere without a, a sat-nav or a navigator to give us the, an estimated time of when we're going to get there. And you're like, oh, I should have been there half an hour ago. But you're still driving. 
And sometimes five minutes feels like 15 minutes, 15 minutes feels like 30 minutes. It just seems like never ending. When am I going to get there? When is the time due? And we can become weary in doing good. We're like, you know what? I, I don't see the ending. I can't see light at the end of the tunnel. But I want to encourage you that in order to conquer the cave, you must find yourself to be able to fan the flame of your faith to say that I will not allow myself being in this cave to be stuck in this place. Sometimes a cave that you may find yourself in can feel comfortable. Sometimes the cave you find yourself in feels safe. But as we know, being comfortable, good things may be found there, but not great things. We must learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. What do I mean by that? To challenge ourselves in every single season of our life. To always aim to push and to be better and to pray and to persevere into the things that God has called us to. And also that includes us making sure that we're not weary in doing good. Because God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And in order to have faith, we must make sure that that due season we're hanging on to knowing that God is going to bring a change in the season that we find ourselves in. That even when life just seems that when it rains, it pours. We must understand that we're able to pause and pray. We're able to pause in the midst of when it's raining heavily on over us. And have the ability to have an attitude of gratitude that we can dance in the rain before God and say, God, I am thankful that even in this season, I won't be weary in doing good. This takes me on to point number three. It retells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. This is very, very similar and connected to point number two. Because it tells us, don't be wary in doing good. But what happens when we become wary in doing good, and when we forget that we can't hang on to the season, we lose hope. We lose hope. And what happens when we lose hope? We feel downcast. Our heart doesn't feel encouraged. Our desires feel waned. But it tells us, but when desire comes, it is like a tree of life. I want to encourage you, hang on to hope. Hang on to the hope of Christ. When you find yourself in this cave, we see Elijah, when he was in the cave, God asked him, what are you doing here? And if you notice, he said something that was quite profound on two occasions in verses 10 and verse 14. He said on two occasions, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. You see, sometimes when your hope feels lost, when you feel like you're the only person that is holding on. But I want to encourage you that hold on to God because the Holy Spirit is holding on to you. Hold on to God and seek him first in truth and in spirit because God is not only holding on to you, but God is also holding on to the future that he has in store for you. Please, please, please hold on to hope. Please hold on to hope because God has so much that he doesn't only have stuff that is in store for you. He has things in store for your loved ones, for your siblings and for your children's children. But this is all dependent on you hanging on to that hope. And it takes me to the next point. Rise up and make no excuses. Rise up. And make no excuses. We see here in John chapter 5 verse 4 to verses um, 6 to 8. 
And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? Verse 7. And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another man steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. I love this scripture because this scripture is jam-packed with so much live truths. This layman, this man has been there. He's been lying there. And what does it tell us in verse, uh, verse six? He says, Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? But why would Jesus ask him if he wants to be made well when Jesus can see him lying there? I think this shows me that many times we find ourselves in this cave of comfortability that, you know what, we've become so comfortable with the pain, we've forgotten what it means to gain. I'll say it again. We've become so comfortable with the pain, we forgot what it means to gain. Gain in our growth in what God has called us to. Some of us have been injured. Some of us have been hurt by loved ones. Some of us have been hurt by a spouse or somebody that we've dated. Some of us have been hurt by our bosses and our friends and those that we've worked with. And then guess what? We allow, that, we allow ourselves to be subdued by that pain, to be stuck in that pain, to sink in that pain, to wallow in that pain. And we stay there for so long that even Jesus himself comes to ask a rhetorical question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? It tells us that Jesus knew that he had been in that condition for a long time. Some of us have been in this cave for a long time, this callous and cold cave that we've now made ourselves familiar with and our characters now embodied the whole environment in its full entirety. Forgetting that God has called us to more. Do you want to be made well? And what do we see here? What does the sick man do? Sir, no one is there to put me into the pool. The pool of Bethesda, nobody's there to put me in. When I see that there is stirring that happens in the pool, what happened? That in this period of time, many people used to believe that an angel will come down and stir the pool. And when the angel stirs the pool, in order to be healed from all your infirmities, people will get into the pool and they'll be healed. But what this man didn't know is that Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, the great healer, Jesus Christ, was the person he was speaking to. But I'm sure everyone that is tuning in online would know that if I was to ask you two questions, who is the most compassionate person in all of the Bible? I'm sure everyone would say Jesus. Who's the most empathetic person in all of the Bible? I'm sure many of us would say Jesus. But listen to what Jesus tells him after hearing everything that he had to say in verse 8. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus didn't even say, I know what you've been through, man. I know what's going on in your life. I feel your pain. No. He says, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Your bed is an identity of where you've come from. Your bed is your past burdens. Your bed is what you was once broken in. But what you was once broken in is also part of your testimony. And that's why Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Arise. It is time for you today to arise. It's time for you today to conquer the cave and arise. It's time for you to say, you know what? No more excuses. I know my pain. I know my past. I know the things I've experienced. But now is the time to arise. Now is the time to not make excuses that every time I try to get into the pool. But you know what? Every time I try to get in, I get knocked back. Even if you get knocked back, it's time to get back up. Because it's not about how many times you get knocked down. 
It's about how many times you're willing to remain resistant. How many times you're willing to continue the repetition and rise again. Rise again. Because Jesus says, rise. Didn't give him no sob story. Jesus said, rise. The most empathetic man, the most caring one of them all. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said, rise. And I believe he's calling many that are watching in this morning to rise. The next point takes me to point number five. Your calling is a command. I'll say it again. Your calling is a command. We see here in Joshua chapter one, verse nine. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For your Lord God is with you wherever you go. Look at the key words there. Strength and courage. Strength and courage. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will give you the strength to move forward and the wisdom of how to execute. But he'll also give you the courage in order to conquer the things that you believe you are not called to. He'll give you the courage to be able to conquer the things you believe you're not called to. I want to achieve that, but I'm not good enough. I want to achieve that, but I'm too young. I want to achieve that, but I'm too old. I want to achieve that, but I've missed the boat. We must understand that God's grace is a bit like a bus stop. You might miss one, but another one's about to come. Because his mercy is new every morning. And this is a morning for you to arise and understand that your calling is a command. A quote I always say is that know your calling and act accordingly. What do I mean by that? I mean get in line. I mean get prepared. I mean get all your equipment in place. I mean make sure you're wearing your uniform. Get your mind right. Focus and sanctify your mind in Christ, in Christ alone. And hear the voice of God. Because when you hear the voice of God, you'll begin to hear the things that he has called you to. No matter how big the giant Goliath may seem in your life, no matter how, 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 how impoverished you may find yourself to be in, or how inadequate you may think you are, or how insignificant you may feel you are positioned in a time and in a place like today, but God has called you to a time like this because your calling is a command. Point number six, focus on God's voice focus on God's voice like the opening text we see here in what we see here in first Kings chapter 19 verse 11 onwards and what does it tell us he said go out stand on the mountain before the Lord behold the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice a still small voice when the world is getting loud when the world wants to increase your worry the question you must ask yourself is what voice are you listening to what voice are you taking heed to my sheep hear me and they know my voice what voice are you listening to is it the voice of anxiety is it the voice of fear is it the voice of foes is it the voice of fake friends 
Is it the voice of your finance that is depleting? What voice are you listening to? Because if there's one thing I find fascinating is that we see freaky things here. Earth, quake, wind and fire. But your life is more than a song. God has something great and in store for you. But the song that God wants to write is for you to continue to move in accordance to the song that is written in his scriptures. What do I mean by that? Are you willing to trust God and know that he's commanded you to be strong and courageous? Are you willing to know that God says, hang on to hope, that when your hope deferred, it may make your heart sick. But he tells us that the desire and truly the desire of God is like a tree of life because God in himself is a tree of life. And God has given you the fruit of life. That when God feeds you the same way he fed Elijah, he fed Elijah and that was able to sustain him for the 40 days to continue on into the mission. Do you know what was fascinating about what God spoke to the sick man that was by the pool of Bethesda? He tells him to rise up, take your bed and walk. But God also told Elijah that when Elijah told him that, but God, like Jezebel and all these people seek to kill me. What does God tell him? He reminds him of his calling. God doesn't give him a soul story. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I know what you're going through. What does God tell him? In the latter part from verse 15 onwards, he says, go, return your way into the wilderness, into the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael. What are we seeing here? God is reminding him of his calling. Know your calling and act accordingly. To conquer the cave, we must hear God's voice. Because God's still small voice may be small, but it's impactful. God's still small voice may be small, but it's impactful. Go and ask anybody that's ever had an earache, a significant earache. Do you know what happens to you when you have an earache? Something that seems so small and insignificant, it can throw you off balance. It can throw you off balance completely. See, it is small, but it affects the eardrum and the ear. But I believe that when God speaks to us it is important for us to block out the noise of this world and understand that the voice of God that is still and that is small is, is increasingly significant in order to create change into our lives and I also want to share with you Psalms chapter 46 verse 10 be still and know that I am God I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Even in the earthquake, God is exalted. Even amongst the nations, when you may believe that the nation is against you, God will be exalted. And what is God saying when he tells you to be still and know that he is God? He's not calling you to be, a, be in a place where you are passive in a cave, but he's called you to be in a place where you are active in his presence. Being still, doesn't mean you're passive and you're stuck. But being still means that you acknowledge and you're in awe of God and you know that God goes before you. As we saw there in Joshua chapter 1, what did it tell him? God said, he will go before you. He will go before you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. How can God be with Joshua? Because God is already there. You see, anxiety in the letters 
in anxiety, the middle letter is the word I. And sometimes we are so focused on ourselves. When Elijah is conversating with God, he's like, but this is what they aim to do to me, to me, to me, to me. But what does God do? He takes that, he takes, he takes the focus of I onto we. Elijah's like, but me, me, me. God's like, forget that, it's we. There's a greater calling. You see, your greater calling is when you're willing to look beyond your nose because faith without works is dead. But also without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in order to please God, we must press on in faith. We must press on in his power and we must trust in God. And I want you to remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power, love and sound mind. Some say the spirit of timidity, power, love and sound mind. In some versions, it doesn't say sound mind. It says self-control. And in the moment we find self-control in God, we are able to find clarity. And when we find clarity, we are able to remember our calling. And when we remember our calling, we are able to understand that we can act accordingly to the things that God has called us to, that his people can also be free. His people can also be free. And God wants you to remember that even when other people may bend the knee and bow and worship a false God, God says that there are still nations and there are people that will worship the true King of Kings. Do not let the Jezebel spirit of fear keep you in that cave. Do not let that Jezebel spirit of fear keep you callous. Do not let that Jezebel spirit of fear keep you cold and hardened when God says I want you to have a fleshy heart where you love me and you love your neighbour if that is you today and you know that God has called you for something more than just this place this cave of comfortability I want to pray with you today I want to pray with you today because I believe that every single person that is sitting down God has called you to something we are change agents. We are kingdom minded and we should remain kingdom minded and not cave minded. And I pray today that Lord, every single person in their homes, that they will conquer the cave in their minds. They will conquer the cave of, 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 of callous Christianity and comfortable Christianity. And they will move forward into a higher calling and a calling of God. And that they will take up their mat, which is their testimony. And they will run with such a testimony to share the good news with every single creature and creation that you have made. That they will know and glorify God. And they will remember, oh God, that people will see their good works. And their light will shine so much that they will bring glory to our Heavenly Father. And God, I pray that such people will continue to bring glory to your name. That even in the midst of pain, they will remember the book of Romans. And they will remember that all things work together for the good, for God, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Father, may they remember your purpose. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.